Hello and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray and this is the 93rd episode in a weekly series called Dead Space. Here with me is Dino Ignacio, Lead User Interface Designer for Electronic Arts through Visceral Games. Welcome to the show. Hi. Um, well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Last week's episode was a discussion with Ken Gao, game designer and composer of To The Moon. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Wednesday, February 6th, and we're going to talk about interface design, Dead Space, and Dino. So, what is your news of the week? What's going on in your world? Um, I, I'm just excited about the future. Just uh, recently got... Um a dev kit for the leap motion, which is really fun to play with. It's just cute little box, like small little box, the size of a lighter, and you just put it in front of your Mac, and just it captures your your hand motions and um, your your yeah, every digit of your finger is recorded and seen, and it's just an amazing little gadget. And I'm gonna try to find some time to learn more about it. Neat. So, how would you use that sort of thing? I mean, I understand that the Connect does similar stuff, but how would you use it? So, the the, the amazing thing about this is that the it's it, the form factor is so small. It's amazing that it captures so so much fidelity. I think it's a lot more um, sensitive than a than a Connect. And like I said, it's about the size of a lighter, and you can sit it in front of your TV or your computer screen. And um, I can see a lot of like indie developers latching onto this. I, I I'm looking at the SDK of this thing, and um, it's already got um, um, it's already got like some 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 start up, starting up um, software to make it run with um, um, uh, Unity and Unreal and all that stuff. So it's pretty awesome. Neat. We'll have games that are like Lord of the Rings with Gollum. <laughs> you can just stick yeah. this right in front of people. Yeah, I can see that happening. Cool. It's okay. it's also that whole um, that whole um, minority report future is just so much closer because of this and the Oculus Rift. I think. Ah, yeah. I look forward to that future. I'm addicted to having the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Nice. Well, speaking of gaming, let's talk about uh, your childhood. And were you a gamer then? Did you play games as a child? I did. Um, the the earliest uh, console that well. I should say the earliest computer experience that I had um, was a Commodore that my brother owned, and we had like just disc and tape games. I can't even remember what they were. But then the, the first console I actually owned was an, and when I say owned, my parents gave it to me, obviously, but uh, it was a Atari Twenty Six Hundred. That was like, my first experience with gaming, and um, my favorite games would have to be, um, I think, if I remember it, I really loved Pitfall. And um, eventually, I think we got um, a really fun ET game. I think, mm -hmm. uh, um, and uh, oh, and the and um, the Star Wars games were always fun. And the funny thing about these games is that obviously it's all eight bit, and like the graphics are horrible. And as you play it, you're looking at the cartridge or the box with a really awesome like airbrush drawing, and that's how you imagine <laughs> the game would be. And it's just. A lot of the games back then were just, you know, filled with air. We uh, just brought to, put, pulled together because of your imagination. I understand. That was my first gaming system, too. I think nope. I played, like, something called Amazon, which was more of a mud thing, and then something with the haunted house where you'd go through the levels. I don't know. It was a long time ago. It was a long time, yeah. Yeah, after that, obviously, the... the well, I was in the Philippines, so my, I didn't have the NES. I actually had the family computer. 
okay. um, the Nintendo Family Computer, and I, I, I played a lot of, um, obviously, Super Mario and Metroid. Metroid was one of my, I guess Metroid was one of my favorite games for a while. I was just doodling, like, fan comic books, even as early as, like, I think I was, like, third grade when I was playing uh, Metroid and Super Metroid eventually later. Hmm. Now, researching you, it seems to me that you're very attracted to tech in general, and uh, I, I understand you were a web designer uh, when that was kind of basically unheard of. So for games, is it the tech that attracts you, or is it the actual game? Um, I, 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 that's, that's hard to answer, because I think I've, I was drawn to tech because of games, uh, as many people are, but now, if I can be completely honest, I don't play as much as I'd like to. Um, it's very common that I'll buy a game and play it for the art direction and just like really just understand what the, 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 the de developers were doing to build it. But very rarely can I finish games these days. Mm -hmm. Um, the last game that I think I finished, um, was the Walking Dead game by Telltale. And before that, well, I've, I've, I've had this, um, I've really loved the, the new Telltale games. I, after, before that, the Back to the Future game. And prior to that, I think Journey and before, <laughs> before Journey, then this is like really embarrassing now because before Journey, the last game was Heavy Rain. So you can imagine it's it's been. I don't do a lot. I don't finish a lot of games nowadays. Um, but tech tech is something that gets me excited because it's like I love the idea of like being closer and closer to that immersive future mm -hmm. that you're sort of like figuring out through games. Um, and so yeah, I'm very attracted to technology. Uh, you've mentioned a doodling kind of for Metroid, which was one of my favorite games too. Excellent. Um, I understand you do comics and had done art and illustration. Uh, have you ever considered or do you do like sprites in games or anything art related as well? Um, sprites? No. I, well, the, the first ever computer program, computer art program that I ever played with was um, a sprite animating program called... Um, Autodesk Animator. This was back in 1990, I want to say 94. Mm -hmm. But um, so yeah, I learned um, working on the computer before even Photoshop was around by learning how to you know draw with pixels. Um, but I, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of drawing for my own stuff in the past. I can't say that I've done a lot of it um, professionally these days. Like my work has been primarily. Um, uh, interface design on the side, like I've been able to dabble in illustration work, but not a whole lot. Like in, in, in Dante's Inferno, I did some animatics and storyboards to help out. Um, in Dead Space 2, I did some illustrations for a motion graphic piece about unitology in the game, but very rarely am I, am I, do I find time to draw professionally anymore? Mm -hmm. On the side, I'll do little paintings and draw, but it's, it's it's been harder and harder um, with 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 my work and with my baby. You know, a lot of my time goes to my child these, these days. Did you? Uh, I knew you had a comic earlier. Uh, is that something that was completed? And is that something available? Um, comic. Um, I don't know which one you're talking about. I, well, years ago, I, I published a children's book. If that's what you're talking about. Um, the Tower of Misunderstanding. That yes, that one. It's more of a okay. children's book or fairy tale, really. It's available. Um, I don't know if it actually still is. Uh, I'll have to look it up. It's been a while. Uh, it was published in like uh, 
two, uh, nine, not even 2000, 1997, I think. So it's, it's going to be hard to That's find. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But uh, I recently, I think a few years ago, two or three years ago, I redrew the whole thing as, a, as an animatic and I, made, I put it on YouTube. I guess if you search Tower of Misunderstanding on YouTube, I think it should come up. Um, I have a little short animation of it. Nice. Tell me about that. What's the story? It's, it's rather depressing. Uh, I, it's, a, it's a little story about dealing with loss, I guess. I, I had a really dear person in my life. I had um, taken um, her life, um, and um, this was me coping with it. It was one of those little um, cathartic little pieces, I guess. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, that's good. There, there are games for everything. And yep. Nice. And stories for everything as well. I wanted to ask you, uh, you were talking about the, the Walking Dead. I hear that's a really good game. How do you find it? I, I, I love it. Um, and I'm glad that it won Game of the Year because it just, it just goes to show that, um, you know, the, the people who play games, the media, the media that um, um, review games have a craving for story. And really that's what this game was about. It was about telling a story. And um, very well told story. With you know, if if I can be completely honest, there wasn't the gameplay was very minimal. It was a lot of like going from one area to another mm -hmm. and doing things. And where it was fun was the fact that your decisions were actually affected the gameplay or the story. Like it was what 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 it lacked in actual action. It um it had um leaps and bounds in branching. Like you could, without ruining the story, you can decide in the very beginning of the game which of these two people live or die, and somehow three or four episodes down, that affects um, the rest of the game. And it's just mind-blowing how much branching that game has. So you would want to play it several times, probably try different, different endings. Yeah, I did, and I ended up doing that, just trying to figure out what else I could do with this game. And to be completely honest, eventually it does funnel down into one story, but they do it so elegantly that... You know, every you want to see every permutation of the story, and um, I think Telltale's got a really good formula going. This whole episodic, um, single engine based um, storytelling engine that they've got is just um, it's great. You know, because they can uh, focus on short bits of, of of information and just share it with people, and then they make a game out of it, and they make another game out of it. It's it's pretty good. Does it tie in very closely with the TV series, or is it completely separate separate in the storyline? It's rather separate. So I, this is the amazing thing about that whole franchise. It seems like every version of it is slightly different, and yet it succeeds in it. Um, the the uh, the comic book runs the whole uh, story, and then somehow the and that's done really well. And then the TV show sort of started based on the book, but it's sort of deviated a whole a, a whole lot ever since started. And this uh, um, this game also takes a little bit from the from the comic book, of course, as its source, but that's also deviated. Um, all of which are amazing deviations. Okay, well, that might be something worth checking out. I do hear yeah. very good things, and yeah, story-based games are nice. <laughs> I always have an interest in gaming tattoos. <laughs> do you have you have a lot of really neat tattoos? Do you have any I, of them that are gaming related? No, unfortunately, I have, haven't gone that route. I I I don't know if I haven't really thought about that, but um, I, it's not. I mean, it's not outside of the realm of possibility. 
Just asking. I have a journey one, and then there's certain oh, names oh. <laughs> you just want to memorialize forever. What? Which? Uh, what? What? What do you have? You know, uh, when you can chirp to communicate. Mm -hmm. There are like 18 chirps you can choose, so I made like a custom one based on the the ones that were existing. Oh, cool! That's awesome. You were talking about buying games purely for the art direction and, and kind of almost as research. I ask this question sometimes and I'm always interested to know, do you find now that when you play games, it's more of like a work experience where you you have to analyze them and sort of notice things that are, are wrong or do you still just enjoy them based on, you know, a game like everyone else would? Um, if, uh, if I can be completely honest, the sad truth is, I rarely have the time to sit down and enjoy a game from start to finish, and it's usually more for research these days. Okay. And um, it's 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 actually a, one of the suckiest things about being a developer is that you know you're you you sort of spend a whole chunk of your time building things, and and when you do play other games, you're really you're, you're the analytic part of your brain just snaps on and just trying to figure out what makes another game tick. Mm -hmm. That. Um, the experience of playing a game um, is diminished. Um, I, I will say though, games like Journey bring me back. You know, it's it's those really um, artistic endeavors that allow you to just zero in on a beautiful game and you just experience it from the beginning to end. And I'm I'm not ashamed to admit it. I I freaking cried at the end of that game. And the dialogue, you know, such a beautiful experience. I like games like that because they are, you know, roughly an hour and a half, two hours once you know what you're doing. And I'll go back and play that game over and over. I have to admit, I also don't finish games very often because, you know, you've got 40 hours of gameplay and another thing comes along and you have to play it or you should play it and you kind of just don't get to the end. So no, I, no. I can see that. And um, and honestly, when I, when, I hear, when I read a review and it says, oh, this game is so short. And people are bashing it for being short. That's actually what excites me about picking it up. <laughs> like, oh, it's short? Then I can probably play it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the joys of children. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how did you end up choosing uh, to do this as your career then and, and going into interface design, which seems a, you know, an interesting choice. I don't get a chance to talk to a lot of interface designers. Um, so... It's always been something attractive to me from, from the time I was playing games, and it's always the part of um, what I see in, or em, what I see emulated in movies that's always excited me. Like even as a child, I remember um, uh, th that scene where um, Luke is trying to zero in and like do a shot into the Death Star, and you see this like really crude graphic on his on his um, dashboard flying the the the, the X wing and. And even then, I'm just analyzing those things, and I can't really f understand why it was exciting to me, but it always has been. And so um, when I started my um, education uh, learning um, computer animation and, and 3D modeling at the Academy of Art, my, at the time, there wasn't really a major for um, interface design. I was coming in... Um, um, at the Academy of Art, um, after like a few years of being a web designer, always being really into like uh, multimedia and all that stuff, and um, I went to school doing computer arts because there was really nothing else related to what I thought I wanted to do. And eventually, mm -hmm. I ended up doing motion graphics. I started working at Game um, at GameStop. Oh, sorry, GameSpot. I always I always do that. <laughs> at, Game, at GameSpot at, at um, CNET. Basically, and um, I did motion graphics for them for a year, 
and then eventually ended up doing motion graphics for an Asian American music channel for about two years. And then at that point, a good friend of mine who was working at EA told me, hey, Dino, why don't you send your reel? Um, uh, there's going to be an opening sometime soon for this unannounced game that I'm working on. And at the time, I didn't have a UI reel, obviously, because all the UI work I'd done was for web. I didn't really want to put that in my reel. So all I had was a really what I thought was a strong user, uh, sorry, what was a strong motion graphics reel. So a lot of animations and like title, title, title treatments and like video work. And then, um, so I gave that reel in not knowing what was going to happen. And I was just fortunate that that, that the, you, uh, sorry, that the, the, uh, the creative director and the art director of Dead Space, which I didn't know was Dead Space at the time, was looking for something unique and something different, something that, hadn't been done in UI before. And somehow I had a lot of like spinning holographic stuff in my reel that were, you know, flying around in 3d space. And they found that cool. And that became my ticket into game design. I dead space one was my first game. And, um, I, I, I'm the epitome of a guy who just got lucky and found <laughs> a niche. I just happened to be, you know, a guy who just had different ideas and somehow it fit into the vision that was um, the larger vision for Dead Space. Mm -hmm. And I was allowed to play. I was allowed to, you know, invent things or do things that were not being done yet. And um, for that to be regarded as something um, standard breaking and cool, I was, you know, that was just a stroke of luck, really. I think it's probably neat for EA as well because you didn't have, you know, years and years of doing the same thing and you didn't have like maybe a mindset that was already locked into something. It's probably neat for them to see, you know, you have like a completely fresh perspective since it is your first thing. It's such a neat combination. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, the stubbornness or the, 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 the blind um, um, ignorance that, that came with, with not knowing how things should be done <laughs> is really what brought Dead Space the UI that it's got, if I can be completely honest. I didn't know any better. You know, it's like, oh, um, most UI at the time was, you know, flat and, and splattered on the glass or splattered on the HUD of the screen. And that just didn't make sense for us. And we, I, I was just really stubborn and just... You know, I, I, I wanted to figure out a way for the UI to not be plastered flat on screen and we were trying to figure it out and the the stubbornness in all of us in that you know in that team made us think, well, you know, we've got we've got particles and we have a particle system existing. Let's make our UI with particles. That way it can float around in space. <laughs> and that's how we did it. Like our, even up till the third game, we were we, we were using the particle system of our engine to make our UI you know, everyone else was using like flash and scale form and people thought we were using scale form, but the truth of it was that we were just stubborn and we were using our particles. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely want to talk more about dead space, but, uh, that seemed the year that you went to EA, I believe it was 1998 or so. And mm -hmm. that seemed like quite a year for you. I mean, you had the Webby awards, which you won for Bert is evil. And I noticed this and also Fractal Cow are, are also pretty humorous. Um, do you like doing like the tongue in cheek games? And how do you feel about the more life and death serious things like Dead Space that you ended up doing? Oh, oh um, I guess there's always been, there's always a tongue in cheek um, um, quality to my, to my sensibility. And I, I'll be honest, even though it's a, if it's a survival horror game, I've, 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 
we've snuck in little jokes in there where we can. UI is is ripe of of of, of little in jokes. That's that's sort of what we do. But yeah. Um, oh, but just to clarify, I think um, Birdus Evil and Fractal Cow was a good ten years um, apart from when I think I went to EA. I think um, the Webby Awards was '98, and then um, EA was 2008. I think. Okay. Yeah. So you had some time, some time yeah, to get serious. Yeah, so there was a lot, like, so the distance in time meant that I was a lot more idiotic and whimsical and, and, and absurd back in 1998, I think. But that's still there. I think it still exists in whatever I do. With uh, user interface design, you kind of get to be the king of the user experience. Basically, you're controlling that entirely. Um which is a very different perspective, I guess, from people who want to get completely lost in them, you know, having that user experience more obvious. So you're talking about Dead Space and your first, you know, game trying to make this different than the other, uh, than the other HUDs that were already out there. Um, do you think, what do you think the difference is between people that have like a more obvious HUD and those who are hidden? Do you think that it helps you enjoy the gameplay or what's the advantage of having something that's more integrated? That's basically the the, uh, the the direction that we we got. Our creative director and our art director at the time um, basically had the idea that we wanted to make sure that the uh, the player was fully immersed in the game, and that if we could like somehow not break the fourth wall with our HUD with our UI, then we're we are we were a better game for it. And granted, um, the the sci-fi wrapper of our game. Mm -hmm. um, combined with the horror, um, you know, ideals of it, made it easier for us to to do a a a, a hudless game. Um, we were able to make the whole thing diegetic, um, uh, I, I, diegetic for, for 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 your listeners who are not sure what it means. Um, is basically uh, well, the, the diegetic narrative style is taken a lot from. Um, theater and film who use this method a lot. Um, it's basically, for example, if you're watching a film and um, the character in the film turns on the radio and the radio starts playing, uh, but then the scene changes and the, the, the music keeps going as a soundtrack, that music is diegetic. It belongs both to the characters in the narrative and the, the people watching the narrative. So in the same sense, our UI was designed to be diegetic. It was designed so that um, Isaac, as a character, sees that door hologram, but it's also you as a player's um, key uh, or um, um, signal to open a door. So we designed the, the whole game to be that way. Case in point, the, the taxi, the space taxi in Dead Space 3 or the tram system in Dead Space 1. The, the idea was that instead of like making the player go through a loading screen, mm -hmm. what we did was like, hey, this is, this is, uh, this is you going into another area. And as you're going there, we're going to make you see, watch this whole sequence of you flying there. But as we're flying you there, you know, if we can be honest, that's just really a loading screen, but we make it feel like you're actually going there, you know, as a player, you're, you're flying there. And as a, um, as a character, you are flying there. And so the whole thing is a diegetic experience. And it doesn't like interrupt your gameplay or throw you out of the immersion you're working on. It's, it's Correct. Cool. It's, if, yeah. Oh, go on, sorry. If you would help me define, um, I kind of have four different UIs, or basically, and just for the listeners, um, you know, education and my own, um, if you want to help me like define these two, like non-diegetic 
I'm guessing it's more like a um, like a World of Warcraft where you're completely outside and it's just kind of pasted on the front. Right. Um, and then spatial. Uh, Spatial was harder for me to figure out because I know in Left 4 Dead, uh, when you're when you get captured, you can see your character's outline through a wall, and that's like kind of what I'm using as an example of that. But it's it's a difficult thing to define. I think the spatial UI. Spatial UI, the easiest, um, the easiest, and I hope I'm getting this right. Um, the, the 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 easiest example that I can think of is like those little gems that go on top of a sim, mm -hmm. which is which exists in the game world, but the characters don't know about it. Like you see it, and it's in the game world. You as a player see it, but the character it doesn't exist in their world. It's really just an indication for you as a player to see. Okay, so many many games will use multiple um, uh, types of these, will they not? Yeah, they would. I mean, uh, like um, Sims would 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 have a whole um, non-diegetic, like um, um, regular standard HUD, but um, along with that, they will have like spatial elements as well. Okay, and then meta, I think, is the last one where you would have like blood spatter on your camera or something that kind of tells you that something's happening. Like that would indicate your damage, but it's not actually like a word or you know an obvious icon. It's just kind of letting you know. Correct. Yep. It's it's something that um, it doesn't really. I mean, it it clearly can't exist in the game world because um, it's you know the characters. Let's say it's it's there. The character's even a third person character, but then suddenly there's blood around the camera or say. When you're playing Batman, and then you go into detective mode, and so suddenly the whole world is like infrared style, but really Batman's like it's not even Batman's view; it's your view. So that stuff's more meta. Makes sense. From a graphic design viewpoint, there's quite a lot of information, and also if anyone plays World of Warcraft, you know, like customizing your UI is an entire you know feat in itself. How do you organize all the information that you're supposed to show in ways that it's not completely, um, you know, interfering with the game itself? So one thing that we've tried to do with Dead Space, and, and I say try because I, I can honestly say that, um, you know, we've succeeded better in some attempts than others, is that um, we've made it so that only the information you need to see is on screen when you when you need it. Um, case in point. Um, the old, more traditional HUD style is to have these key elements on screen at all times. Your health, your current weapon, your inventory, your map, um, and um, I'm missing one more. Map. Well, we'll those for, let's say, right? And then we've sort of like compartmentalized those things and make it so that, you know, yeah, your rig is there, you see it on your back, and that's the most important thing. But everything else, your weapon selector is only there when you need it. Instead of a map, we've got, we give you a, a breadcrumb system where you see where you can go next with a locator. Um, your inventory is just there if you need to see it. And so we, we, we've made it so that we're not cluttering the screen as much as we can. And wherever we do clutter the screen, for example, you're, let's say, on the weapons bench, we've made, we've made a lot of efforts to make sure that we telegraph what you're supposed to look like, or look at. Um, we take, we, uh, you know, we, you know, in, in theater, if you see uh, an actor perform a scene, um, let's say the scene is to stand up and go to the door. There's two ways, and it's hard to explain this over, over, over audio, but there's two ways the guy could do it. He could literally just stand up from, and go from point A to point B and not telegraph what he's doing, or he could like stop, look like he's thinking, look at the door, stand up, 
slowly edge towards the door and then grab the doorknob and open it as he goes out, right? So there's two ways to always do things. There's one which is untelegraphed and the other way which is to telegraph what you're going to do. And that's what we try to do with our UI is that it doesn't just pop to the next thing. We make sure the eye is led to the next thing so that he knows where he should be looking at next. Mm -hmm. We do a lot. We give a lot of effort to that whole idea of first read and second read and third read. This is like... Um, I guess it's a lot to do with my film and my, my graphic design background where we, I think I was very trained in understanding what is the most important thing to see in a layout. If there was just one frame and that's all you've got to share in a graphic design layout, how do you get the, uh, the, 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 the reader to look at specific things on there in this, in, in a certain sequence, almost like creating a, a path for his eyes and, we sort of take that learning and apply it to the way we do our UI. I like it when you, you do that and also the obvious things. Like I remember playing the Dead Space 3 demo and you know, there's a section where you're, not, you're in the ice and snow and you, you come to like an elevator and you can't get on the elevator until you go to the workbench. I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I get what I'm supposed to do. I need to go to the workbench and update my guns and everything else. And then the elevator will open for, mm -hmm. for those of us who need that obvious smack in the face. I wish I could take credit for that, but that's at that point it now becomes um, a level designer job. That 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 kudos for stuff like that comes from you know a really um, amazing um, level designers who are basically designing the way you you see the world and how you were going to use the world. Um, the position of that um, weapon crafting bench versus the position of the the generator versus the elevator. I mean, and where and putting a window where it is. Those are all clever mind tricks that our level designers come up with. I want to talk more about Dead Space, but um, before we do, I'd like to to jump back a little bit to when you first came to EA. Um, what is it like there? Because I think it's been rated like one of the 10 best places to work. And they always say like, oh, the campus is amazing and they have daycare and like a fun room and all that stuff. Um, is it as amazing as it as it sounds like and and such? I'd like to think so. I, I obviously, well, I came in 2008, so I'm really, um, I'm reaping the harvests of, 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 of EA restructuring to be a better place. Like, um, I, I don't really need to talk to you about like how it was before, but by the time I was there, it was awesome. Um, uh, yeah, the campus is awesome. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of amenities that make it easy for you to just be there. <laughs> like the gym is great. Um, uh, it's there for you and your your significant other to use for free, and it's a, a really well-run gym. And then, um, obviously, the daycare is great. I recently just started using it. My my daughter is um, a year and a half now, and she's been in there since um, since she was six months, I believe. And um, yeah, it's been it's been great because we drive to work in the morning and midday. I I go down and check on her, and then I, my wife picks her up around four thirty because I tend to stay later than that, but. It's 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 been really good to have her there, and then apart from that, um, the kind of culture that EA sort of I don't know how it's if it's how much of it. Well, there's definitely a culture there that's really fun loving, and I don't know if that comes organically or it's somehow seeded. But it's just I work with some of the most talented and yet humble people that I know, and I can't help but be a fan of everyone that I work with. Um, and, you know, um, sad as it may sound, these, these people 
I see more than I'm than my family. They're basically my <laughs> it's I'm there at the office, long hours, um, like everybody else. Because you know, if you're not in crunch, you're 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 planning for the next thing. And so everyone's there, and they're, we're committed to building what we're building. So you end up really seeing these people for a big chunk of your time, and so you end up like having spending spending your 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 some quality time with them. Like we do a lot of. And I don't know if I should be saying this, but we do a lot of heavy drinking because it's fun. You know? I hear that a lot in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a, it's just a, it's very conducive to having fun. It's a really good community of artists and engineers and and producers and uh, development directors and you know all these different personality types sort of like just meshed together into one big party. Is it? Uh very normal for you to be able to talk to all the aspects of a game like you are you kind of designated in your spe specific like hey this is where the user interface people go and then like the level design people are over there and we shall never meet or is it like everybody kind of is able to talk about the game like in the different aspects they're doing um i can't speak to the other parts of ea or even the other projects going on but the dead space team has been structured to be um to be such that you are um, sort of interfacing with a lot of people as you as you build a game. We sort of huddle into pods as we build different features. Case in point, like, um, uh, and I'll talk about Dead Space too, just to be on the safer, safer side. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, the the eye poke machine at the end of Dead Space Two, a pod of like six people were like assembled. Um, so we had one gameplay engineer and one VFX artist, and then me as a UI guy, and then. Um, um, an animator and then the creative director. So five people just huddled for like two months to build that feature, right? And it's like you do that and you end up like jumping around and like meeting and working with other people. There's definitely a UI um, pod and that's what uh, it's basically comprised of like three artists and um, two engineers. But beyond that, um, we well, we sort of interface with other disciplines, like especially UI because it's like we deal with working with the level designers, we work with the producers, we work with the animators. And it's you're never siloed into just one group. It's a lot of like interacting and building things with everyone. I should tell you I see all these cute pictures of your daughter sleeping in her <laughs> gray basket container. <laughs> it is so cute. <laughs> okay. So you've you've spoken about long hours, and this is something that I think is pretty prevalent in the industry. But it's one thing that I guess probably the only criticism that I've heard a lot of EA is that there's a lot of crunch time. Do you think it's like typically more because maybe I mean are the reasons that it's more, or do you feel like it is more because of EA? Um, I'll I'll say this about it is that every every year that I've been there, the development directors, the guys who do the schedules have done better and better at figuring out how to make the production not crunch. Right? That's just that's their job, to make it so that everybody um, has a reasonable schedule to, to do stuff. While, while producers come up with features, development directors figure out how to scope it down so that it's something we can all work on and no one crunches. So there's an effort to always do that. But here's, here's where it becomes um, complicated. This, so as... As easy as they try to make it, everyone at Visceral always puts in 120% of their energy in whatever they do. That's just the way the studio sort of is built. I think we take pride in what we do. And even though they say, hey, we knocked it down so that you, can, you should only do it for this many hours, 
you know, the, the, the better they make the schedule, the more people try to push themselves harder beyond the schedule anyway. So, um, I think workaholics, you can't stop. We're horrible workaholics. All we do is like, you know, we, we're like, we work hard and we party hard. I guess that's just the way we are. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is as, as, as much as people who are in charge of the schedule, try to make it easier and easier, we just find ways to use that time better and better. And when we do that, we sort of just crunch ourselves anyway. And that's uh, <laughs> the way we are, I guess. Like you talk to, especially the young, amazing, like level designers we've got, like, you know, I'm sure you've met like Warren Price and like Seth mm. Mariano. Those guys are just amazingly hardworking. Like they're, they're given a task and they deliver on it and, you know, they're not satisfied. They'll just keep going and they'll just keep building. And, you know, and I think that's why, and I think that's where quality lives, you know, and, um, and yeah, that's, I guess that's what I have to say about that. I was wondering if the team for Dead Space 1 ends up being the team for 2 and 3, or is it something where um, a lot of people turn around? Because you've been there five years, and that seems, you know, the turnaround is very high in the industry. That seems like a very long time. Is it the same team that worked on Dead Space 1 all the way through? The the turnaround in Dead Space 1 is a lot higher. I, I think um, people who worked on Dead Space 1 decided to move on for whatever reason, but a lot of the people who... Um, got into Dead Space 2 were a lot of really ex uh, excited young people who wanted to stick around and so a lot of the people who are on Dead Space 2 stuck around all the way to Dead Space 3. Um, there were a few people who were in 1 that are still around, me being one of them, um, that just loved the franchise so much and just wanted to stick around. Hmm. Well that's good, I mean you probably want some of those old hands that kind of know <laughs> know the ins and outs of the Dead Space. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Back to talking about like the UI and uh, some of the more innovative things for Dead Space 1. Um, I guess people have said that they've explained this as a typical UI rendered atypically. Uh, I understand that there used to be a spatial map, almost like a 3D map, uh, that ended up being dropped before the locator. Uh, what was the issue with that and do you think it's a good solution? Um, it, actually, it actually shipped. It's still part of Dead Space 1 and we dropped it in Dead Space 2. And um, basically, Throughout the production of Dead Space 1, that 3D map um, was the only mapping system in the game. And, you know, Dead Space 1 was notorious for a lot of backtracking. Mm -hmm. And our, our environments, as, 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 you know, as unique as they were, there, there was a certain style that made them very similar because you were in a, were in a derelict ship and in, in, in a very industrial environment. So a lot of things looked alike. And so the map system, um, was very cumbersome and hard to use because it was 3D and it was floating and it's, it was really cool. I loved it. It's really awesome to look at, but it was completely, um, if I can be completely honest, it was completely unusable. It was just a mess. Um, and so within the last month of production, I remember, um, a lot, after a lot of, um, play testing, we all realized that wasn't going to work and then, you know, the idea was redrafted and we decided to just come up with a locator system, which eventually became one of the hallmarks of the series. And um, to, to, to think that it was a really late ad was just mind-blowing because that was like the final hours of production. We're like, we're, we got to figure out how to do this. And I remember we had this um, um, intern level designer who was helping out lay down all the breadcrumbs for that thing. I, I, I feel bad for that guy because it was like so last minute and yeah. had to 
map that whole thing down. Yep. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure, but this is this is our mapping system. We've got to finish it. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think my favorite part, you know, of, of it is the, other than the gameplay and all that, is the health meter and stasis meter, meter like, directly on the armor, so you can see that, which is, for the time, it was very innovative, um, where you actually had to f pay attention to your avatar, um, which, you know, a lot of people don't directly look at the avatar they're playing so much as pay attention to, you know, the environment and the things that are attacking them and such. Uh, the, how did the idea for that come about? Um, uh, it was just a basic idea of um, just needing some way to make everything immersive. There were like lots of really early, and this was before my time there, there was a lot of early paint overs of how how the the, 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 the health bar was going to sit in Isaac's back, and it was like everything from really big boxes on his back to like really ornate symbols, and it just... At the end of the day, simplicity was was key, and we we decided that um, the best way to communicate it was just straight up having a bar there, and you know it would be the easiest way to read it. You know, as much as we wanted to go really ornate, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we realized that this was something that needed to be read really fast and really clearly um, in one glance, and so um, it ended up becoming just a bar. Sometimes it feels good, yep. <laughs> especially when you're getting shot at and you're dying. Correct, yep. <laughs> uh, Tavalantis, uh, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, the, mm -hmm. the snow world uh, on Dead Space 3, the colors in it are, are obviously, you know, ice and snow and things of that nature. How do you account, and do you have to, for environments with UI, or is it something you just create and kind of let other people figure the, the, the schemes of how visible it is out? Oh, no, no. There was a lot of adjustment in our part to make sure our UI worked in it. Um, like like you probably um, noticed, like uh, our past games were primarily in dark um, hallways, mm -hmm. um, and even when it's in open spaces, there was always some shadow involved. We we've never been in a game where we had like pure white um, backdrops behind our UI, and so a lot of a lot of redesign went in in um, trying to figure out what was the right balance because um. Um, we had to like cheat and add shadows, like a fake shadow in all our UIs, uh, UI pieces where there would be a, almost like a floating glob of gray or black um, behind it, like additively behind the UI. And we couldn't overdo it because if, if it was overlaid over a black environment, it just stood out and looked like a black mess. And so there was like, a lot of back and forth and tuning just to figure out how to make it look good all over the game. Cause, we didn't have the budget to have two versions of the UI that switched from, you know, white, white, white background versus dark background. So we had to like find the middle ground and it was, it was a lot of work. It sounds really mundane now, but I remember it being a good solid like week or so of like tuning. That's good to know. I, w I would think so. I mean, there's so many different environments you end up in that the visibility important. Yeah. It's, um, and you know, what, uh, one of the most unsung, unsung things about UI work. It's, it's very easy to like, you know, get acknowledged for, for, you know, the, the sleekness or the how, 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 how high tech or how beautiful your UI work is. But people forget that a lot of our work really is trying to make sure that it's standardized. Um, everything from font work to making sure it looks good on a standard definition TV to making sure that um, when the text gets translated to Cyrillic, it still fits in the look, uh, the words still fit in the boxes that lock for them. It's, 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 uh, 
it's a real labor of love and it's not as fun as most people think. <laughs> uh, yeah, tracking and kerning, not my favorite. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, talking about Dante's Inferno and Dead Space, uh, how much does a studio themselves influence, you know, the creativity of, of the UI and how much can you decide on that? Because it I'm seemed like you were explaining like that EA already had this idea that they were going to do something, you know, different and creative with Dead mm -hmm. Space and Dante's Inferno is more of like a standard, you know, ex a little bit more expected. I see. Yeah, so that has a lot to do with um, the leadership on the game. Uh, uh, my art director and my creative director at the time and in the first Dead Space uh, Ian Millam and um, uh, Brett Robbins were very, um, and also um, our production designer at the time, Ben Wanad, who ended up becoming creative director on Dead Space 3. They were always very, um, very in touch with what, 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 what they thought was going to be innovative and new. And um, they had a, you know, great, you know, they had a great idea of like, of like making the game very immersive and so you can't help but just add to it and just as a UI designer you know that every other department is trying to make a very immersive game there's audio guys trying to find new ways of making audio um, sound a lot more like intimate and then you've got like lighting people who have just amazing amazing theatric backgrounds of like how to light the scene to make it look a little bit more um, claustrophobic and so as a UI designer coming into all this you can't help but you know give your 100% um, commitment to the idea as well now um, with Dante's Inferno um, I remember um, also an, uh, an amazing art team art, but the art director and the creative director of that project had the intention of creating a more standard traditional um, hack and slash game and so the intention wasn't to be innovative with the UI and you know, I'll be honest, that wasn't really easy for me to swallow because coming out of Dead Space, all I really wanted to do was to experiment and be cutting edge. And Dante's Inferno's um, needs were very different. They needed the UI to be good for a 60 uh, FPS game. And for that to be good, it had to be very clear and very obvious and then always on the screen. We couldn't do... Um, diegetic UI because you know the game was going to be moving so fast it couldn't be attached to the player it had to be flat on screen so its needs um, sort of affected the end result and that's how that went. Uh, speaking of Dead Space in particular that the whole series it, it's amazingly beloved people really get into this and are very excited for everything that comes out but it does deal with a lot of serious issues like uh, suicide, raising the dead, insanity. Um, but it's very story-driven. So right now, considering the recent media swarm on violence in video games and whether they're to blame for all the world's ills, what do you think of that and, and how do you react to some of the stuff that's going on in the news right now, considering that you, you're also on something that's a shooter game? Um. Let me preface by saying that you know my opinions on this are my own and and not EA's obviously, but um, I I personally feel that um, uh, they really I mean the media and the and 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 the politicians are focusing on the wrong thing obviously, mm -hmm. um, to to target video games again about an issue that is you know obviously about um, weapons that shoot and kill people it's just really just missing the point you know um they keep scapegoating to an industry that has um been proven or shown in studies to not be 
a cause of, of, of violence and, and it just doesn't make sense for them to just keep focusing on that. I got into an argument with someone the other day who said that um, simulation um, basically games are used to help uh, you know the military train for combat and then to get them used to you know firing and stuff like that and you know I was looking for ways to refute that other than saying you know there are so many uh, games that are not you know shooter based there are all sorts of games but even ones that are shooter based I don't feel would help me like if, if someone handed me a gun help me to you know know how to use that gun I think it would probably make me maybe more like accurate targeting which you know because I'm used to you know looking through crosshairs and things but mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I if I feel like video games are you know are akin to like simulator games for the military I mean that's not really necessarily a question but do you have an opinion on that yeah no, um, I mean I agree with you I just I just don't I, I, I mean I have no solid um, argument against or, or, or for it but I just, I just I just don't think video games are are, are, are should be targeted in all this I mean the, the bottom line is it's you know the guns are out there that's that's what you should be taking care of that's what they should be looking at do you think That's this will affect that. sales for video games in the next year? I think so. I mean, it's it's very easy to 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 make it the the, the point of focus, and people will be more sensitive, and that's 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 that is reasonable. And so, yeah, it will affect sales. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. What do you think about people using like resurrecting old songs like "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star" and "Drunken Sailor" in creepy music and game intros? What is that about? Um, I don't know, but I I I. I we didn't do one this year, so I guess we're <laughs> you're off I mean, the hook. Unless you unless you think Phil Collins is scary <laughs> in his own <laughs> we way. Sort of dropped the idea this round. Uh, I don't know. It was it's it's. I think it just brings back. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's there's something about childhood that 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 that's that's scary, or at the very least, brings back certain emotions. And so these trailers sort of like, you know, peak those emotions up and like. Uh, are tapped to 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 elicit elicit fear or certain emotion. I guess that's what they do. Hmm. There's something about um like very uh like Bioshock. You can look at little sisters. Something about small children who are <laughs> who are deadly. That's very frightening. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dead Space Three, the new cover system, enemies that shoot, and the co-op option um, are all you know new things to mm -hmm. consider. Uh, did you have to go through any changes for the user interface to make these work? And, and did they have any consideration to the changes you made? Um, yeah, so the, the whole human the human combat um, scenario, the, um, there were new things that we didn't have before. Uh, since it was such a, I guess, active style of fighting, they, they had the notion of like, grenades and status stasis bombs that you can throw and those things needed more um what's the word for it um more immediate style ui that sort of, so we had like little blinky ui that showed you exactly where these bombs were in, in relation to you that didn't quite really if i can be honest make sense in the in the in, in the traditional way dead spaces ui worked but we had to do them because it was a new style of gaming we were trying to um, weave into Dead Space, mm -hmm. so you know all that stuff had to be woven in. And then for co-op, um, it it definitely affected us in a sense that we had to design uh, puzzles that sort of worked with the co-op system, like having a a, a, a switch or a, or a puzzle work with two characters involved in them. 
um, the level designers worked with us a lot in figuring out how to how to how to message this, and we had to like come up with a very um, clear um, co-op language that still felt diegetic, um, and it wasn't easy because it's like the expectation is the word would come up, you need a co-op partner, or you can't go here unless you have someone with you, and so we couldn't really do that because it would look too gamey, and we had to like really figure out a way to to sort of like message co-op without being too, you know, gamey. And it wasn't easy. Uh, John Carver, the new co-op guy, I have to admit I haven't had a chance to play with because I've only played single player for Dead Space 3. Um, did you have a lot of, like, do camera angles affect the UI in any way? Because I know, like, games I play like Fable 2 where the camera's tied to the henchman or the co-op become really annoying. Like, do you do you have any, uh, does that affect you at all? It does. Um, we sort of have to design the UI so that it's readable from from as many angles as uh, as wide an angle as possible and that really means and as wide an angle as possible and as uh, as and we sort of have a rule that it should be readable um in about a meter Isaac can be a meter away from the UI and it still should be readable and we sort of have these little metrics that we play with and and um it's not easy when it's co-op because it's like um you know there's there's two characters there's more screens there's more detail in your screen sometimes and we had to you know, look into like designing our stuff better so that camera camera wouldn't, wouldn't make it horrible but that much said uh that said it still happens it's i mean the fact that the ui is in world there's no there's never a perfect angle there's always going to be a, a, a an angle where it's going to look horrible and we can't really control that we're lucky we get through uh, certification every year it's it's a real it's not easy. Um, we always we always get dinged on how small our font is, and we just keep pushing back and and try to be, make it as clear as possible without pissing off um, Sony and Microsoft. How do you deal with the dementia aspect? I understand that John Carver sometimes sees things that Isaac doesn't see. Uh, do you have how, how do you deal with that? Considering you have to show different things um, when he's seeing those dimension dementia objects. I, I wish I could take credit for all that stuff, but that's again um, more story and level design stuff um, okay. and VFX stuff. Like uh, all the dementia effects were done by the VFX team. And um, but but that said, I mean it, it, it's it's a really amazing addition to co-op. I think. Um, uh, without spoiling any more, but I guess it's it's the cat's out of the bag. But we do have very um, distinct experiences that Isaac will go through, and his co-partner Carver will go through. And and in 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 Dead Space Three, you know, Carver has more dementia, and um, it it ends up being very exciting to to play because you're like you know you're either you're you're the same guy trying to help the other guy, or you're the crazy guy trying to tell the same guy what's going on. It's quite same. The game released yesterday. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. In the U.S. And uh, seems to be being well received. A lot of people had concerns, um, I guess, considering the game's evolving into, you know, for, for a more traditional third-person shooter. And those are some of the things that they had concerns about, I guess, that we just mentioned, which is the cover system, enemies that shoot, and co-op option. Um, have you heard any, you know, reactions to those things? And are people feeling like it, it's very uh, true to the Death Space 1 and 2? Um, yeah, the, the, there's a lot of people who are reacting to it, but the more I read into um, the forums, um, uh, so I'm reading into NeoGAF and Reddit and seeing what 
actual people playing it are saying. Um, uh, I'd like to think that people are pleasantly surprised that yes, there is a cover system, but you don't need to use it. Yes, there is microtransactions, but you know what? You don't need to use it either. The 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 game experience that is Dead Space is there, whether or not um, you do those uh, you co you do cover or you do uh, microtransactions. The game plays really well, and it doesn't really need those things. But the choice is there for you. In the same way, um, co-op and Carver are there if you want him there, and if not, he's not there. I think one thing that we've enabled the, the gamer um, this time around is choice. Right? We gave them um, a, str a strong story to to play, and and if they just wanted to focus on going from the beginning of the hello, are you still there? Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. Sorry, my my screen fell asleep. So, um, yeah, I mean, our, our our big focus was to give players choice. Um, if they just wanted to focus on the main path, the alpha path of the game, they've got a solid game. If they're the guys who, who said the game was too short, the, um, the last two rounds, and they wanted a longer game, they're like beta missions that are really satisfying. Um, if you're the kind of guy who thought that, you know, Dead Space want, needed more um, action, then you know what? Carver's there. If you're the guy who wanted more creepiness, well, then it's also there. And so I think... The, there's more than enough there for everyone, and, I, and it, it it pains me when people complain that there's one thing that they don't like. When they when they have what they have to realize is that if they find something they don't like, they don't have to do it. You know, it, yeah, yeah. There's a cover system, but you know what? You can survive the game without covering. Really, if you're really good with stasis, <laughs> and if you don't want to use microtransactions, we've got little robots that Isaac can throw around to get resources for him for free. It's, it's all there for you, and you can play any way you want. <laughs> Options are good. Yeah, and so I mean, I, I um, I hope people give it a chance. I hope people like it. Um, there was a lot of effort to make it as good a game as we can. That there really was. Um, the story was crafted by by uh, Chuck Beaver, who who crafted the first two as well, and it's just an amazing resource of of, of information about Dead Space. There's this like um unpublished hundred. 20-page Bible on everything that is Dead Space. Parts of it have never been revealed anywhere, but he's written it out, and it's all been figured out, and it's just it's just amazing um, to know that it's such a well-built universe, that there's so much backstory in everything, and I hope we get to tell all of it one day. Mm -hmm. I really... I know people will be very anxious to hear that. Uh, I think you also should think about the fact that people are extremely invested. They like this series and, and the characters in it, and they're very attached. So it's it's kind of, it's bad and good when people, you know, whine on the forums about this and that. But it also means that they're emotionally invested in your game. Yeah, and I, I, I recognize that, you know, when, when people are on, on Twitter and they're really angry or on on YouTube, where where a lot of them are are really angry. It's 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 an investment. I mean, they're not on there angry because they have a lot of time on their hands and that's all they're going to do. It's because they're they're taking the time to tell you what they don't like because they care, and and I think we recognize that and we're and we listen. That's why we listen. I think it's because we know people really care. Uh, the game has some allusions, the whole series, to other things like like Scientology kind of, and almost a bit of like the if you ever played Mass Effect, like the Prothean technology where, the, where you have Isaac almost being like a human map with the red and black marker. Uh, the idea of a man himself being a map seems like something you would like. I don't know, do you think that there are similar ideas that are sort of iconic enough that they kind of get repeated in different games? 
I think so. I mean, um, I mean, games and movies and media altogether. I mean, we're we're part of the same zeitgeist. I think a lot of the ideas that we have rolling through Dead Space are there because we're fans of other things in other parts of media, and um, other types of media sort of borrow from us. It's become it's come full circle. It's amazing. One one key thing that I I remember was. Um, uh, Ridley Scott, when he released a trailer for um, for Prometheus, mm -hmm. um, and we're such big fans of Ridley Scott and a uh, Alien and Blade Runner and all that stuff. And I'm guessing and, uh, with the ones that jump into your head, <laughs> I was guessing you might be fans of Aliens as well. Yeah, and yeah, definitely. And but um, so they um, before the movie Prometheus came out, I think a week or so before. It came out. They came. They they put out a TV trailer with a uh, with a um, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, <laughs> and I don't know if it was an homage to us, but I couldn't help but feel that it was. You know, mm -hmm. it's like I feel like, you know, we we are all feeding each other um, information that feeds the sight guy. So whether or not Ridley Scott and his editing team and his video team even thought of us when they put that in there, I think the fact that we threw it out there, somehow got caught by their subconscious and suddenly ended up on their trailer. And that's that's exciting to me because I and I, I think this speaks to what you're talking about. I mean, these themes that sort of like circulate around new games and old games, um, whether or not we consciously borrow or steal them, it's it's just because we're all living and breathing the same amount of media and we're all just taking it all in. And my personal belief this is that when you read a book or you hear a song and you instantly like it, it's not just because it's a good song or it's a it's a good story. It's partly because somewhere deep inside your brain you've thought about it before. Mm. And the best ideas that you find are the ones you've actually really thought about also. And it's really just affirming what you like when you like something. Great. That's, that's really yeah. insightful. Neat th way to think about that. So uh, do yeah. you have any exciting plans now that this is released? Do you have, is there promotion stuff you have to do or anything? Any cool parties you have to do now? No, just uh, I think um, there's a lot of research and development towards like the future. I, I I wish I could talk about all that, but it's just a lot of studying and figuring out what the next thing's going to be. Um, the next. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're we're just busy figuring out stuff over at this role right now. So after five years at EA, will you stay uh, and do Dead Space? I mean, will, will there be Dead Space four, five, six, and you will just continue on that particular franchise, or will you end up moving to other games? I I can't answer that right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. I'll be staying with EA for sure. I'll I'll say that. Um, what I'm doing, I can't talk about. Okay. Uh, we are getting ready to close. Is there anything else you think you should share before we leave? Um. No, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for um, taking time to speak to me today. It's just really fun. Thank you. It's really neat to see the inside of, uh, of how this works and, and what you do. See, A big thank you to Dino. If you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you could find him on Twitter. And what is your Twitter handle? It's at Dino Ignacio. That's one word. D-I-N-O-I-G-N-A-C-I-O. Okay. And do you have any other sites you would like people to look at other than the obvious um, Dead Space main page? Um, that's, that's plenty. That's good. Um, no other site to promote. Just a reminder that the Gray Area Podcast is entirely funded by listener support. So if you enjoyed this show or any of the previous shows and you want to help out, you can go to www.genesee.com and look in the right-hand side. There are various donations 
donation buttons of different amounts, or you can choose your own if you don't like any of those. But I do thank you for your support, and I hope that you will click on our stars on I on uh, iTunes and give us five star rating, and also uh, donate to the show to support the site. Uh, if you have any gray areas in relationships or you need a new perspective, you can email your questions, advice, or suggestions to geneseegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week with a brand new episode. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to signalsmedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really? <laughs>